0: Good morning, church. How are you guys doing? I just want to extend a warm welcome from our family to yours as you worship from home. I hope everyone is still being safe, and even though we can't see face-to-face, we still have the opportunity to come together as a church family and community to worship together from our homes. And so today, as we get into the Word today, um, I want to bring an encouragement uh, in our current climate. And so, I mean, we're going through a pandemic season, we see there are so many things around the world that is, is, is kind of rising up, and I, I feel like there's, there's, there's a role for us as a church to play. Um, so before we actually get into the message, I just want to go into a time of prayer and just hand this time to God and, and really just ask for the Holy Spirit to come and, and, and minister and to speak to us today. So let's pray. Father God, you are a good God. And you are a God that listens and, and listens to our, our cries. And you are a God that, that, that loves us so dearly. And you love the world so dearly. And you love your church. And so, Father God, as a church, we want to come before you today and respond in a way that pleases you, but it also ministers to the world so that the world may know who you are. So Father God, as we come and look into your word today, Lord, may you send your spirit to come and take these words that we hear, take these words that we read, and challenge us to our very core about who we are. So Lord, we just lift this time into your hands and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you have your Bibles with you, please turn to Matthew 5. We're going to focus on the Sermon on the Mount here. And if you know the Sermon on the Mount, the Sermon on the Mount actually spans through chapter 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew. And I'm not going to go through all of it because that's a lot for us to go through. Um, I'm going to focus on Matthew chapter 5, verse 9 today. However, I want to lay it out in the context of the Sermon on the Mount. When Jesus came to preach this message, Jesus lays out a set of, a set of Beatitudes that we see. He lays out a set of, of teachings after the Beatitudes, but he first lays down something that we call the Beatitudes. And the Beatitudes are something that is not only a suggestion of the way that we need to live, but this is the pathway of the narrow. So when he lays out the beatitude, he sets the tone first for the rest of the sermon by saying that this is the attitude that you need to have. That the beatitudes are not an optional thing, it's not something that you just look at it and say, oh, these are great suggestions of the way that we need to live, but this is what sets the tone for the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, because the rest of the Sermon on the Mount does not actually make a whole lot of sense without first setting the tone. And so Jesus goes and he sets out a list of of attitudes or a list of characteristics of how we need to live out and represent our Father. So one after the other, the beatitude tells us of blessings of eternity that are given only to those who have become new creatures and new creations. For example, it says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. If we don't obtain mercy, we receive judgment. If we don't see God, we're not in heaven. If we aren't called the sons of God, that means we are outside of the family. These are all descriptions of what final salvation is going to look like. It is only promised to the merciful, the pure in heart, and the peacemakers. Matthew 9, Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers because they will be called sons of God. Jesus said this into a world that is ugly with violence and hate, and Jesus sends us as peacemakers. We're not given a choice whether we want to be a peacemaker or not. We aren't given a choice in actually the world that we live in. As bad as things may be right now, this is the only world that we have. And if we are going to be true to what Jesus has taught us, we must become peacemakers. So what did he mean by being a peacemaker? First, let's talk about what peacemakers are not. Let's take out any misconceptions that we may have. Peacemaking is not the absence of conflict. So peace in the Bible is never to be confused with pacifism. We're not pacifists because we're peacemakers, okay? So it's not the absence of conflict. Peacemaking is also not the avoidance of strife. We're not instructed to run away from conflict. We're not called to put our head in the sand when we're scared. We're, we're, we're hoping that the conflict will end. We're not called to avoid Strife. Third is that we are not here as peacemakers to appease parties. We're not here to make peace at any price. We're not here to make people happy all the time. That's not what peacemaking is about. And we're not here to accommodate issues. We're not here to just gloss over things and acting like everything is okay. That is not peacemaking. So what did Jesus mean when he said to become a peacemaker? The working definition of a peacemaker is someone who is actively seeking to reconcile people to God and to one another. That's what peacemaking is is a reconciliation of our relationship to God and bringing people alongside us to reconcile their relationship to God and also our relationships to one another. That's what peacemaking is. It's important to remember that peace in the Bible is always based on justice and righteousness. That where justice prevails and righteousness rules, that is the only place that you're going to find peace. Without these two virtues, lasting peace is not possible. The term peacemaker comes from a Greek verb that means to do or to make. It is a word that is bursting with energy it mandates action and initiatives. Notice Jesus didn't say blessed are the peace dreamers or blessed are the peace lovers or blessed are the peace talkers. Peace must be made. Peace doesn't happen by chance, okay? We can't just say, oh, well, if I just leave it alone for a bit, peace will come. Peace doesn't happen that way. You need to make it happen. Peacemaking is never passive, and it always takes initiative. When Jesus said, blessed are the peacemaker, for they shall be called the sons of God, he's not telling us how to be He's not telling us how to become a son of God. Rather, what Jesus is saying is simply that sons of God are peacemakers. That if you consider yourself a son or you consider yourself a child of God, therefore, you are a peacemaker. Jesus says that people who become sons of God have the character of their heavenly Father. In Galatians 3.26, it says, For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. In other words, we become sons of God by trusting in Christ for our forgiveness and hope. What Jesus has come to show us is what peacemaking actively looks like. Because the Father, our Father God is a God of peace. That the heaven that heaven is a world of peace, and most importantly, that God is a peacemaker. So Jesus becomes the supreme peacemaker. How Jesus came to establish peace, his message explained peace, his death purchased peace, and his resurrected presence enables peace. That even before Jesus came, that the messianic prophecies that there would be a prince of peace that were to come. and When when Jesus arrived, that the angels announced his birth by saying glory to God in the highest and peace on earth towards men. That Jesus would would perform miracles to sinners and after he performed miracles, he says what? Go in peace. Just before Jesus was crucified, Jesus' last testament was peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. The life of Jesus was saturated with this mission to bring peace, uh, to bring the peace of God, and to initiate the healing relationships of peace with God. Jesus paid an enormous price for us to experience this peace. God is a peace loving God, He is a peace making God. And the whole history of redemption climaxing in the death of Jesus. And the resurrection of Jesus is God's strategy to bring peace between himself and, and us. God's children has a character of their father. What he loves, they love. What he pursues, they pursue. You can know that you, they are God's children, whether they are willing to make sacrifices for, the, for peace the way that God God did. In Romans 8, 14, it says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Being led by the Spirit always includes bearing the fruit of the Spirit, and that fruit of the Spirit is peace. Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers because they will be called sons of God. Jesus says, Those who are peacemakers will be known and recognized as what they really are, the sons of God. Now you may assume that at first glance, that sons of God actually mean the same things as children of God, but the terms are not quite identical. They're not quite the same. A child of God is someone who is a part of the family. It is a statement of position. Whereas a son of God is one who is like family. It is a statement of character. A son of God is one who not only carries the family name, but bears the family resemblance and the reputation of that family. Jesus is saying that as his followers become known as peacemakers, they will be recognized as the sons of God who share his name. Do the people in your life, does our church family recognize the family resemblance based on our efforts of peacemaking? You may be a child of God because you accepted Christ, but are you a son of God? Because you pursue peace. Are you actively seeking to reconcile people to God and to one another? As we continue in talking about peacemaker, the opposite is also true. What is the opposite of peacemakers? Troublemakers. People who are mean-spirited, they're stirring up stuff just to create conflict. Peacemakers sometimes are, are sometimes troublemakers. I don't want you guys to feel like peacemakers are not troublemakers. Sometimes they are. But the difference is that troublemakers make trouble for the sake of trouble. If our character is, is like that, we spread where we're spreading rumors, we're causing strife, we're causing conflict. For the sake of causing conflict, then we are constantly constantly bringing us in a place where joy is not found. If we're mean and negative about about how we actually are pursuing trouble, there's a good chance that you're not peacemaking. Peacemaking always tries to build bridges. Peacemaking always tries to build bridges, does not want animosity, and it's all about reconciliation and harmony. Peacemaking is making bridges between man and God and man and man. So this then raises us another question. That is it is it our fault when we stand, when we take a stand and it's causing division? That if you've alienated someone and brought down their anger upon your head because you have done or said what is right, have you ceased to be a peacemaker? Not necessarily, because Paul says, if possible, live at peace. So what Paul is saying is that he admits that there are times that standing for the truth will make it impossible. For example, Jesus says in Matthew 10, 34, says, do you? Do not think that I have come to bring peace to earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter in law against her mother in law, and a person's enemy will be those of his own household. In other words, it's like you must love peace and work for peace, but you must pray for your enemies, do good for them, greet them, and along with the barriers between that you have to overcome. But if you you must never abandon your allegiance to, to, to God, no matter how much animosity it brings down on your head, that in the process of peacemaker, that you don't make concessions, that in the process of standing up for something, that you still stand for righteousness that we don't make concessions, that we don't make any, any allowances for the sake of peace, where we make allowances and jeopardize the gospel. You are not guilty if you're not in the wrong, if your life of obedience and your message of love and truth elicit hostility from some and affirmation from others. Perhaps this is, the warning that Jesus wants to sound when the very next beatitude says, blessed are those who persecute for, uh, who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. F- right after following Peacemaker, Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. In other words, that righteousness must never be compromised in order to make peace persecuted for the sake of righteousness that Jesus clearly says that righteousness is always above peace. Now I want to address one more question here. That a message like this would raise some of us people today as we look at blessed are the peacemakers for they are sons of God. Why in the in the world In our world's current situation, does this message of peacemaking confine itself to a personal dimension? Why does Jesus always make this about us and make us reflect about our positions first? Does Jesus not understand that there is a bigger world that we live in, That that our personal issues are insignificant compared to the issues of the world right now, of Black Lives Matter, of issues of politics, of issues of of arms talk, and civil wars, and religious oppression. Does God not see all of those things? Why does God always bring it back to ourselves first? Before I answer that question, let's ask another question. Was Jesus unaware of Is Jesus unaware of our current world situation and issues? And the answer is no. Jesus was very aware and actually lived in a time where it was not very different from today. That in the hands of the Roman Empire, when Jesus was living, the Roman Empire was what ruled that the old Roman Empire came into Israel without consent. And started ruling over Israel, was Jesus not aware of the influence that the Romans had against the Jews? Was Jesus not aware that of of the racism that the Jews were 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 experiencing? That that even the Herod of the time slaughtered three thousand Jews over a Passover celebration. That was Jesus not aware that the Roman soldiers would could constrip any Jew that, and chose to carry their, their, their load, that any Roman guard could say, you are gonna be my slave today and you are going to carry my things? Was Jesus not aware that Pilate had his soldiers come against a crowd of Jews protesting his stealing from the temple treasury? Was Jesus not aware that Pilate massacred Jews on the temple ground and mixed their blood with sacrifices that they were offering? Jesus was aware of all of those things in his time, so Jesus is aware of all the things that are happening today. Jesus sees what happened to George Floyd. Jesus sees what happened to Breonna Taylor. Jesus sees what just happened to Richard Brooks. Jesus sees all of those things. He sees the injustice. He sees the injustice that are around the world. He sees the pandemics that we're experiencing. He sees the injustices that are happening in Asia. He sees how China is treating Hong Kong. He sees all of those things. Yet Jesus always brings it back to who are you. Jesus always brings it back to a place of prayer and personal, personal search. Jesus, in Luke chapter 13, he explains one of the ways that he preaches. He, In Luke chapter 13, it, there, there are people that are confronting Jesus about Pilate's atrocities and about how Pilate is killing Jews and how Pilate is, is mixing the, the aspect of, of, of their blood with the sacrifices that were, were happening at the temple. And this is how Jesus responds. He says, there were some present at the time who told him of the Galileans who whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered to them, do you think that these Galileans are worse sinners than the other Galileans because they suffered this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will likewise perish. What Jesus says, he took a a major social outrage of injustice and turned it into a demand for personal, individual repentance. He says, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. That's what Jesus always did. Why did he do this? Because for Jesus, the eternal destiny of a human soul is a weightier matter and a bigger issue than the temporal destiny of a nation. If you come to Jesus with a question about justice, like when the Pharisees asked him about the justice of taxes to Tiberius Caesar, he will turn it back into a personal command aimed right at your heart. Give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and, the, and to God, the things that are God's. God always turns it back because Jesus knows that what, what will last through eternity isn't what nations establish. That injustice will always happen as long as man will be, will be ruling this world. That no matter what comes in power, no matter what reformation is brought, that history will constantly repeat itself. And Jesus knows that as long as man is in place, as long as man is leading government, that there will always be a group that will suffer injustice. And so Jesus says, instead of addressing the injustice of the world, I'm going to address the injustice of the heart of who you are, because what you are is that you do not know your identity in Christ, that you do not know your identity as image bearers of God. So Jesus always makes it personal because it always starts with us. It always starts with our hearts. It always starts with who am I before we could start changing the injustices of the world. So when Jesus says, blessed are the peacemaker, he's calling us back to a place of, look at my gospel, look at what I have done for you, look at my character, look at who my, your father is, and start emulating that and become that image bearer. And when you are doing that, then you are speaking on behalf of God and you are extending a kingdom culture that, you, that God has been here to establish and he's called you to not be a part of this world, right? There's always this tension of, how do I not be a part of this world, yet be a part of this world? You know what I mean? That we're supposed to be both indigenous to the world because we're living in it, we're raised in it, we're born in it, we're living out the society that we're put in, but at the same time become pilgrims in what we're supposed to do because we are living for the kingdom, we're citizens of the kingdom. God always brings back, he says, like, whatever the world has to throw at you, all of those things come back to me first. Look at what I have established as kingdom. Look at what I have established as the church. Look at what I have established here on earth through my son Jesus. That is where you're supposed to live. Go back to that place first. So let's go back to that question. Why does the message on peacemaking from the Sermon on the Mount focus on our individual issues and personal reconciliation? Are these issues insignificant in comparison of the world's issues today? The answer is no. Because the point of these personal issues in in the Sermon on the Mount is to make crystal clear that every individual within the hearing of Jesus' voice must become a new creature in order to have eternal life. You must have a new heart. Without a merciful, pure, peacemaking heart, you cannot be called the Son of God at Judgment Day. And that is truly the weightier matter in the world today. Is the Son of Man, is Jesus confined to the views of the world that he's out of touch with the real issues of life because he regards eternal salvation of your soul as a weightier matter than the, the temporal destiny of a nation of the earth? The radicalness of Christ calls to peacemaking demands as a radical remaking of human personality. We must first have a profound experience of the peace of God, the shalom of God. No one can become a peacemaker until he has found peace himself. We cannot give what is not real to us. Peacemaking begins with the experience of peace in our own hearts first. At the, at the end of every single one of Paul's letters, Paul always begins that end with grace to you and peace from our God, our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the things is that we will never find that order reversed. It will never be peace before grace. It's always grace before peace. Peace. It means that we have to experience the grace of God before we can experience the peace of God. That we have to come into a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ, before we can extend peace to others. We always have to come back to the place of the gospel. And we always have to to come into that self-reflection. And I want to really, really express this, this point here. When we do this self-reflection thing, we don't do self-reflection in terms of how are we, I feel like the world today, we do too much self-reflection in some ways. And almost that COVID allows us to have a little too much self-reflection where we get so into our own heads and into our own hearts that we forget the gospel. When Jesus says do self-reflection, he says do self-reflection in light of the gospel do self reflection in light of who i am do self reflection in light of what jesus has already done for you see the cross before you see yourself see jesus before you see yourself so the self reflection that jesus is calling you to is the see my grace that has been extended to you first before you self reflect because if you don't do that and you go the other way around where you self reflect first what happens is that we start putting the gospel into our own thoughts. Instead of the gospel framing our thoughts, we frame the gospel with ourselves first, and then we come up with what we we see as the progressive Christianity today, where the gospel becomes almost insignificant to our own thoughts. And that is wrong, and that is so dangerous. God always wants us to see grace before peace. See Jesus, see the cross before you do anything else. Before all your self-reflection means nothing if you don't see the cross. All your self-reflection means nothing if you don't see Jesus. If you don't experience God's grace, you're reflecting on nothing. There's no power in that. You're not moving as a church. You're moving on your own accord. And then all of these new ideologies come out of the church. And all these new ideologies is so detrimental to God's message that I plead for you, church, to always look at the gospel first. Frame your entire life around Jesus' message of him coming to die on the cross for you, to redeem you, to give you his righteousness so that you are able to be the right that right peacemaker that he has called you to be. Grace before peace. We have come into a relationship with God through his son Jesus Christ before we are purveyors of peace to others. We have to know peace ourselves before we can make peace in our relationship. In other words, we can't make peace if we don't have peace. The only person that can give you that is Jesus There are so much war, so much strife, so much pain that exists in this world. What does that mean? That means there's plenty of work for you guys to do. Plenty of work for the church to do. That we take out the mantle of peacemaker, that every tiny step, every pure action receives God's blessing. So, how do you get involved in the world? How do we get involved in in what our current climate is? Be a peacemaker. Pursue peace. Justice with righteousness. Do you know the ultimate peacemaker? Have you come into a relationship with Jesus, the Prince of Peace? What will you be called? Will you be called the Son of God? Will you carry that title? God certainly called you to do that today. He's called his church to do that today. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, as we come before you, we just ask for you to extend your mercy. Lord, that we, we see all that you've done on the cross, the righteousness that you have poured out, the love that you have poured out, the justice that you have poured out, and the peace that you have poured out. And Lord, may we take all of that and start extending that to the world. Lord, may we become the image bearers that you have called us to become so that the world may know who their Father is. So Father God, as we come before you, Lord, may your Spirit come and just bring into us a message, your message, for the world to see of who you are. And that you are a God of justice and that you are a God that loves and that you are a God that fights for your people. So Lord, may we become that bridge. May we become those bridges that you have called us to be, that you have called your church to be today. And pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you for joining us, Five Stones. We'll see you guys next week.